Well, good morning, everyone. That was passable. Good morning and welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. Finally, it feels like November outside, doesn't it? I'm excited about that. I hope you are too. But it is so wonderful to have you this morning, whether you are a first-time visitor or maybe you're a long-time member. The Lord has brought us here together to worship Him, and worship Him we shall. But first, we have some business we need to take care of. Today, in just a few moments, we're going to have a congregational meeting. So if you are a member, you need a bulletin especially because in the bulletin you will find the ballot. All right. So members especially, make sure you pick up a bulletin and only members can vote. Of course, um, if you would like to become a member, let me know. We can make that happen. But we're going to do that in just a moment here. But before I turn things over to Finley, let me just announce four things. Number one. Be aware of the goings-on in our bulletin. Um, it will tell you about all the things that are happening, and many different things are happening. Number two, one of those things happening is that it is time to sign up for poinsettias for the sanctuary in memory of and in honor of folks. The forms are available in Providence Hall, and we need to get those completed, so please check into that. Number three, it's also very close to time for shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child to be turned in. I think we still have some boxes available in Providence Hall, so if you want information on that, you can see Carrie, talk to me, we'll, we'll get you plugged in. And finally, number four, tis the season, right? It's almost time for our Thanksgiving slash holiday youth group fundraiser meal. I don't know what it's called, but that's what I'm calling it. Anyway, forms are available, okay, on the table out here. We're doing a hybrid meal this year. Right, So the question has been, well, will we just do drive through Will we do dine-in? We're going to do a combination of both, but seating will be limited. So you need to pre-order your meals, and also you need to let us know if you will be dining here with us. Now, there's more information for that, but I'll share that with you as we get closer. But forms are available for donations for the different products that we need. And so we are so grateful to Christy, to Carrie, to... To care to everybody involved in this thing, thank you all so much for all the work that you are doing for this. Now, um, there are other things that need to be announced, but I'm going to leave those for you to find in your bulletin because we need to have this congregational meeting. But again, I welcome you. What a blessing it is to be together. I'll recognize Finley Lots now, our congregational chairman.
Thank you very much, Finley. And for members especially, please do remain until the close of the service, right? Elders are going to go back and count the ballots right now, but then we'll come back and announce those who have been elected. And if there's a tie, then we'll need to vote. So please hang around till the end of the service when that is announced. Now, again, we are here to worship. Welcome to you. What a glory and, 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 and wondrous thing it is that the Lord has called us to this place. Let's prepare our hearts now as Donna leads us in the prayer. He has shown us marvelous kindness indeed. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 103, and it says this. It says, My soul bless the Lord, and all that is within me bless his holy name. My soul bless the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for the, all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we were made. He remembers that we are dust. My friends, on this, the Lord's Day, this day that the Lord has called us to this place, we have so many things to be grateful for, so many things that we ought to remember that the Lord has done. But certainly among the chief of all of these is the fact that He is the great and mighty God, seated on high, ruling the universe. And yet, like a father, He loves us. He provides for us, even providing for us in eternity with the forgiveness of sins. This is why we are here today. This is why we are to worship. So let's now turn our hearts to him as I lead us in prayer, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together and confess the Apostles' Creed as we begin. Let's go to him now. Our Father, please be with us in this time. Guide us by your Holy Spirit that we would see the majesty, that we would see the treasure that we would see your glory in this place. For there is none beside you, O God. None that can match your power. None that can match your rule and your might. And none that can match your love and your mercy and your grace, which are all given through Jesus Christ. So as we lift up songs of praise, as we pray, as we go to your word, guide us in all of these things that we would see Jesus. And in seeing him, that we would praise him. We pray these things in his name and we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. Now let's stand together as we take our green Bible songbook. The words are on the screen, of course, as we sing Bible song number 237, A Call to Universal Praise. Please stand with me as we sing. Number may be seated, but children, join me down front for the children's message.
several of you guys said it. Parents that are out there, I don't know where you are, but you should uh, you should be delighted that your children said it. That's right. Thanksgiving is an extremely important day. But you know what? Thanksgiving means lots of different things to lots of different people. There are some people that call Thanksgiving turkey. Right? There are some people that think that Thanksgiving is all about watching football on television. Psalm 68, 19, it says, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. No just to bear something up, that means to hold it up, to make sure that it stays standing. That's what God does for us. Psalm 103, 2, I just read that a minute ago. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. In other words, the psalmist is saying to himself there that I need to remember what God has done for me. Ephesians 5 20 says, Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Sometimes life gets busy. Sometimes life gets difficult. Sometimes life is going really good. And we can forget to stop and thank God. And it can happen in all those circumstances. Sometimes when things are scary, we can feel alone. Or when we're angry or And we write it on this pumpkin every night, all three of us, right? And there's some interesting things on here. There's big things, right, that we all ought to be thankful for, like our neighbors, right? And I've got a few of Mr. Stanley's up there, Mr. Martin and Shirley are back there. We are so thankful for our neighbors because we have wonderful neighbors. So we wrote it down on here. But don't tell me what I said this. Miss Amanda wrote down Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> As they are being dismissed, let's now take this time to go to our Lord in prayer. First silently, and then I'll lead us in the pastoral prayer. Let's go to him now.
Eternal God and Heavenly Father, as we have just read from your word, as we have lifted up, you are worthy of praise, you and you alone, for you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. If we would take the time to stop, Father, if we would take the time to reflect, we would see your hand at work not only in our lives, but also in the world around us. Certainly it is true that tragedy abounds, that people make terrible decisions and hurt one another. Sometimes people are just plain ugly to each other. And yet, Father, your restraining hand of grace is so evident. Your mercies are new every morning. And if we doubt your provision, let us look no further than the fact that we are here right now. That you have given us this time. That you have given us your day, for even time does not belong to us, it's yours. But you have given us this time to reflect, to dwell on your majesty, and to bask in your goodness. So help us to do that in light of thanksgiving, yes, but in light of every day. For again, your mercies are new every morning. As we consider the challenges that we face through this, again, it can be times of ease where everything seems to be going well, and it can be times of sorrow and difficulty. In both, we can be for, tempted to forget you. And, and Father, that is not our desire. By your Holy Spirit, hold on to us. Bear us up, as your word says. Guide us. Draw us to yourself again and again. And as we face the challenges of this life, let us continually look to you, not as a last resort, but as the first measure in going forward and knowing what to do. This is the case with every affliction we face. And as we think about our folks here, we know that there is affliction. There are some that are facing new illnesses. There are some that are facing old illnesses. There are some that are dealing with long-time health effects, and some are dealing with brand-new things. You know all of these, Father, and you understand them better than even the doctors do. You are the great physician. So we pray that you would bring healing, yes, but of more than just a physical variety, of a spiritual variety as well. Father, help us to see your hand at work. And for those that are struggling with sickness, give them a real sense of your presence now, but bring them back to us in good health. Please, we ask you. We ask the same thing for those that are struggling in other ways. Perhaps it is with the loss of loved ones, whether recent or distant, it doesn't matter, for grief does not work on the same timetable that we do. We pray that you would bring comfort and peace and assurance by your spirit. Or maybe it's those that are struggling in other ways with relationships. It might be work relationships, it might be personal relationships, I don't know, Father, but you do. We pray that you would bring restoration, correction even if needed that you would bring us together again. For those that are still struggling, perhaps with weariness, perhaps with just the state of the world around us, we pray that you would bring peace and comfort and the assurance that you are the sovereign one, that you're always working. We are so grateful for that, Father, especially in light of the world around us, in light of our nation. We pray that you would intervene, that you would be at work, that those that do not know you would come to know you, and as a result, the world would really be changed. Not the cheap stuff that's peddled all the time, but instead, that real revival would blow through by the power of your Spirit. Even as we pray this, we look forward with great anticipation to how you will use us, Father. Give us receptive hearts. Give us that desire to change and to pursue you for the good of your kingdom and all for the sake of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.
Thank you so much, choir. What a wonderful reminder that is of what our de desire really should be, that the Lord would lead us. And not just lead us in any way, lead us in his righteousness, for his way is best. So thank you again, choir. Well, today we are continuing along, and I'm excited because we're continuing along in our series on the names of God the Holy Spirit as we continue to examine what it means that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. Now, thus far we have seen that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and Son to do the will of God. That's the language that is in our confession. But really what this comes down to is the Holy Spirit is God's presence in your life. If you want God's presence, it will be by his Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, having a relationship with the Holy Spirit is crucial to your spiritual well-being. I think the first sermon I preached on this, I asked, what do you need? Do you need guidance? It'll be by the Holy Spirit that you have it. Do you need comfort? Do you need peace? Do you need assurance? Do you need correction? It's all by the Holy Spirit. And as such, we have a calling. And that calling is to submit to the Holy Spirit, as we saw last week, and not quench the Spirit, not satisfy the Spirit, not conclude that we are done with the Spirit, in other words, don't compartmentalize the spirit like we do with so many things in life, right? We have these little compartments where, well, right now I'm going to be a work individual, and right now I'm going to be a family man, and right now I'm going to be this, and right now I'm going to be that. And we use the Holy Spirit like some divine AAA card, right? You know, you got your AAA membership, maybe. I lock my keys in my car. Better call AAA. Right? You can do that with the Holy Spirit. My life is falling apart. Better call on the Holy Spirit. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. That relationship that we've been talking about is what is so crucial to not quenching the Holy Spirit. Now, I say that we've seen these things. It's, it's been my intention to convey these things. I hope that you've seen them. My design throughout this series really thus far has been twofold. Number one, it's been my intention to introduce you to the Holy Spirit. That's why we've been answering this question, who is the Holy Spirit? But number two... As we've answered this question, it's been my great hope that you would understand the importance of the Holy Spirit, the, the implications of living a Spirit-led life. It's been my hope that you would see why a relationship with the Holy Spirit is so crucial. And if you still don't see this, why the Holy Spirit is so important, Perhaps today will be the day that you do see. And as I say that, I recognize that it won't be by my power at, at all. It won't be through my skill or, or lack thereof with words. No, it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit through God's word that you will see the truth about who the Spirit really is and what the Spirit of God really does and can do for you. Now, there are many passages that convey these things. We've, we've been through several of them already, haven't we? Genesis 1, Romans, 1 Thessalonians. But there is one passage that really is my favorite when it comes to showing who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit can do. And that passage is found in the Gospel according to John. Now, um, this is a story that we come to. It's John chapter 3, so go ahead and turn there with me. It's a story that we come to today. It's a true story about a man who came to Jesus. And in so doing, we will see what the Spirit does. We're going to start reading in verse 1 of John chapter 3. But before we read anything, we need to stop. And we need to pray and ask for God's help that we would see what he would have us to see. So let's go to him now. Our Father, please be with us in this time. As we come to this passage, this passage that contains the most famous verse in all the Bible. This passage that tells the story, the true story of a man who came seeking Christ. Help us to see the truth of what is revealed. Help us to understand not only what your word says and means, but what it means for our lives. This is impossible without your help, Father. We, we, we will not do this on our own. 
It is only by your Holy Spirit that this will be accomplished. So please, guide us now. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. So John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him, Jesus, at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you uh, that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? Asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied. Truly I tell you. <clears throat> excuse me. Truly I tell you. We speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who ascended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. Now, we've read our text and we come back to the question, who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? These questions and more are answered in what we just read. And it's answered in this, the true story of Nicodemus. But I've got to warn you. Nicodemus has a reputation. We just read about it. As you go through a list of characters in the Bible, certain men and women represent certain things, don't they? The, the obvious ones jump out. You know, Satan is evil, right? Ahab was corrupt. Samson, strong, but rebellious and foolish. Delilah, his downfall, was a temptress. Jezebel, well, you know. Jonah was stubborn as he ran from God. Peter allowed him out. Judas Iscariot was the traitor. But when you seek an example for a coward and a fool in the Bible, there are many who would point to this man that we've just read about. Nicodemus. Google Nicodemus the coward sometime. You'll find blog entries about the cowardice of Nicodemus and how he was just so simple-minded that he couldn't understand the gospel. You find blog entries about how he was willfully disobedient towards Christ as he rejected Christ's testimony. You'll find books about his slow wit, right? Excerpts about his cowardly actions coming to Jesus at night and so forth. There's even popular Christian music songs where writers have talked about how Nicodemus was a coward who just didn't understand. And certainly there are commentaries that, that, that make this observation too. But let's consider what we've just read, Okay. In light of his reputation, verse 1 tells us who he is. It says, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So from the start, with just reading the first verse, we know two things about Nicodemus, from which you can deduce many more. First off, he's identified as a Pharisee. Second, he's identified as a ruler of the Jews. Now let's just take that first thing, right? Going with the basic understanding of what we think we know, because Nicodemus was a Pharisee, we might conclude that he's obviously a, a legalist or he's obviously a hypocrite. I mean, we can say that, right? Consider the kind of things that Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 
For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also appear outwardly, or outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus would call them other things like, like the sons of hell, for instance, and making more converts for hell. Jesus spent a lot of time preaching against the Pharisees. Now, in turn, the Pharisees spent a lot of time, oh, I don't know, trying to kill Jesus, right? They're, they're plotting against him. They try to catch him in these traps. So based on what we think we know, let's put that picture first in our minds, that he's some hypocrite. Moving on to the second thing that our text tells us about him, that he's a ruler of the Jews. You, know, you can do lots of things with this fact. You, you can conclude that not only is he a hypocrite legalist like the other Pharisees, he's probably a rich one, right? So let's just make the matters worse. He's, he's part of the ruling class. And so he must be like a king of the Pharisees, right? And then when you couple that with what we find out in verse 2, well, look at it again. You find out that this man came to him, talking about him coming to Jesus. This man came to him at night. You know, at this point, if Nicodemus were on trial, the prosecution would perhaps rest its case. Right? They'd say, go ahead and dismiss the jury because we all know what the verdict is going to be. We can confirm his reputation. He comes to Jesus at night. If he were a real man, he'd face Jesus in the daytime. He wouldn't be afraid of anything. So obviously he's a coward. And the rest of verse 2 only makes it worse for Nicodemus. You know, again, he's a ruler of the Jewish ruling class, right? He's a Pharisee over other Pharisees. So you might conclude he's a politician. And if that's in your mind, look at what he says. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. He's using the we. Right, the collective we. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs unless you these signs you do unless God were with him. Again, talk about the typical politician thing. No, there's no I, it's the we. So how does Jesus respond to this? Well, in verse three, as we read, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I tried to think of a good metaphor for this, but it's kind of like you coming and asking me, hey, do you know what time it is? And I start telling you how the watch works. You know, Nicodemus didn't even ask anything, did he? He just said, you know, he did this politician, we know that you must be from God because of the signs that you're doing. And then Jesus immediately launches in with this. And it appears from, from reading this that Jesus sees Nicodemus in the same light that we might see him as a hypocrite, Pharisee, a, a coward who can't understand things. And based on what we think we know, it seems like Nicodemus affirms this because in verse 4, after Jesus says this to him, he says, how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asks him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? You know, I'm, I'm not trying to be terse here or, or vulgar, but he starts talking biology here. Again, can we send the jury home because we've got this guy pegged? He, he obviously is a coward and, and maybe he is that fool. The rest of verses 1 through 16, or the rest of the passage, it really just kind of goes downhill from there. We read it. Nicodemus just never seemed to catch on. And then he just kind of disappears at that point. There's no more interaction with him and Jesus. If you were to skip down to verse 22 of the same chapter, you'd see after this, this is after he's done with Nicodemus, after this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. Y'all, read this for what it is. It's a transition verse. We move away from Nicodemus and that encounter, and then Jesus goes on with his business, and we get to chapter 4, then things progress, and Nicodemus is just sort of gone. Has he been seen for what he was? For what we think he is? A coward? A fool? Nicodemus just sort of vanishes. Is his reputation sealed? We think we know what kind of man Nicodemus was. And it really only took a few verses to get there. But you see, here's the thing. Nicodemus doesn't just vanish. 
John, in, in writing his gospel, he's not done with Nicodemus because he actually doesn't just vanish after this conversation with Jesus. He pops back up, and he pops back up in chapter 7. So flip over there with me. John, you're in 3 now. Flip to chapter 7. We're not going to read the whole thing, but just giving you a little bit of background. By the time you get from chapter 3 and this interaction with Jesus and Nicodemus to chapter 7, y'all, Jesus has done a lot of things, okay? Preaching. He, he's offered these messages that have left people with no other option of either saying, well, he must be the Messiah or he must be crazy, right? That's the kind of messages that he's preaching. He's performing these signs and wonders, feeding thousands, casting out demons. And as a result, people began to talk. And you find a very divided people group. But a lot of people are starting to say things like, could he be the Messiah? Could he be the one that God promised would deliver us? And as a result, the Pharisees get very, very nervous. In fact, we know by the time we get to chapter 7, their plan is to go out and arrest Jesus, to bring him in. But the guards wouldn't do it because they were so afraid of the crowds that had come up. And that's where we're picking up in verse 45 of John chapter 7. We're only going to read a few verses. Because this is where we see the cowardly fool, Nicodemus, surface again. And this should only affirm his reputation, right? Well, let's see. Starting in verse 45, look at what it says. Right? So verse 45, it says, Then the servants came. I need to flip there myself. So John 7, 45, it says. Here we go. It says, Then the servants came to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? The servants answered, no man ever spoke like this. Then the Pharisees responded to them, are you fooled too? Have any of the rulers of Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd which doesn't know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, the one who came to him previously and who was of them, said to them, our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing. Does it? An interesting question. Now well, we see how they respond. Verse 52, you aren't from Galilee too, are you? They replied, investigate and you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee. You know, again, they've got this ruling class thing. Galilee was rather looked down upon. But it's interesting what we've just read. You know, in this jury metaphor, should we call him back in? Because it doesn't seem like a fool would have been able to put together a response like that, does it? Oh, it seems like someone very smart would say something like Nicodemus just said. He said, wait a second. Our, our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? The Pharisees have decided Jesus has got to go. But Nicodemus says, well, wait a second, guys. So maybe calling Nicodemus a fool isn't accurate. But does it matter all that much? Well, fine, stop calling him a fool. But the rest of his reputation is safe, right? He's still a coward. After all, the, the Pharisees there, the rulers asked him, verse 48, if anybody believed him. Nicodemus didn't say, oh, yes, yep, I'm with Jesus. He, Jesus is for me. No, he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't stand up for Jesus. So at least it's safe to assume he's a coward, right? Well, if Nicodemus and his testimony ends in John 7, the answer would be yes. But we see Nicodemus one more time, just one more. And it's in John chapter 19. Flip over there with me again. Again, just reading a couple of verses, but to set it up for you. In the first part of John 19, Jesus is indeed arrested. In the middle part, Jesus is crucified and we hear from Jesus on the cross and we see his death. And now at the last part of 19, where we find Nicodemus, we're not going to call him a fool anymore, but he's certainly still a coward. Where we find him is at Jesus' burial. And what is Nicodemus the coward doing here? Look at verse 38 with me. It says this. It says, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took his body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. 
They took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with fragrant spices, according to the custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby. Stop reading there. I don't know about you, but what Nicodemus has done here doesn't sound very cowardly, does it? So we started out by saying he's a fool and a coward. We know he's not a fool by what he did with the, the, ruling, uh, the ruling Pharisees, but now it seems like he's not a coward either. Nicodemus, the man with this reputation, has done something very courageous. He has just accompanied Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Christ in hiding, to Pontius Pilate himself. The one that had Jesus turned over and had him crucified, right? And Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they have the audacity, the boldness to ask for Jesus' body in order to honor him. And after receiving the body, there's a tidbit thrown in there. It says that Nicodemus provided 75 pounds of burial spices. Um, there was a, 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 an extremely well-respected Pharisee named Gamaliel, right? He was kind of the central ruler of all the Pharisees in Jerusalem. When he died prior to this, they only gave 40 pounds of spices. Y'all, when you think of 75 pounds of spices, think about when Jesus was anointed by Mary, right? She has a little jar. That little jar represented a year's worth of wages. And Nicodemus pulls together 75 pounds of this. Y'all, the fact is this. Nicodemus was not a coward or a fool. Popular opinion concerning him is wrong. What we've just read, both in John 7 and John 19, are not the actions of a foolish coward. The lesson there, in part, is we need to be careful with preconceived notions. Because if we come to the text with this basic understanding that Nicodemus is a coward, why listen to a coward, right? If he's just talking like a politician, why listen to him when he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God and so forth. But if he's not a coward, these words should sound different. These words should sound instead like someone who has come to Jesus. And the whole fact that he comes at night, maybe it's because he was working in the day, maybe because he couldn't get to Jesus because of all the crowds, we don't know. And it doesn't matter. But if you take these words as one not coming from a coward, but one seeking Christ, from one that comes in respect and reverence, seeking truth, well, then they sound completely different. When he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. If we read this from someone who comes out of reverence, we see someone who has listened to Jesus' teachings. He's, he's seen the miracles Jesus has performed, and he's come away with sincere belief that Jesus may be the one. And if Nicodemus, in the same way, if we count him off as a fool, right? When we get to verse 4 and he's asking about how can anyone be born when he's old, and he talks about biology and entering into his mother's womb a second time, if he's just a fool, then why pay any attention to this? It's like, okay, Nicodemus, we know you don't get it. Why don't you just go have a nap somewhere? But if you read it as one that's coming for truth, and if you understand this in light of what he was really asking, well, then you see, these aren't the words of a fool. In paraphrasing verse 4, as Nicodemus comes to Jesus, it's as if he's saying, Jesus, I've listened to your teachings. I've seen the signs and what they point to and the fact that you're from God. If you weren't from God, you couldn't do these things. And you say, I need to be spiritually born again. But how can anyone be born when he's old? Or in other words, what Nicodemus is really asking is, can I change? I'm so long in the pattern of this world. I'm an old man. Can I really be changed? But it's broader than that, you see. It's as if he's asking, can anything really change? You ever found yourself at that point in life? Where you get stuck in a pattern. And that pattern might be one of great disappointment. 
where things happen and they make no sense whatsoever. Sometimes it's when you love somebody. And they don't love you back. Not like they should. And you wonder, can I change? Can they change? Can he change? Can she change it? Can anything really change in this world that we're living in? Well, my friends, it's here. It's right here that the Holy Spirit comes in. Make no mistake, Jesus knows Nicodemus is no fool. Right? We know that if you flip back to chapter 2, just before he met Nicodemus, it says about Jesus, he did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. That means he knew what was in Nicodemus. He knew why Nicodemus was there. He also knew that Nicodemus was no fool because he called him a teacher of Israel. And so in response to Nicodemus' question of how can I change, can anything change, listen to how Jesus replied. And listen close because it's here that we find the answer to who is the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit do. Nicodemus wanted to know if he could change, if he could be born again. And Jesus said, the wind blows where it pleases. And you hear its sound. But you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. That's Jesus' reply. Language is a fascinating thing, you know. I'm, I'm a man of words. I, I speak for a living. So words are very important to me. They're very important to you too. But even so, this is a fascinating verse because it's as if Jesus is repeating himself. For you see, in the Greek, the same word for spirit is used for the wind. Really, they're one and the same, spirit and the wind. So what Jesus has just said here about the wind is the same as he said about the Holy Spirit, namely that the Spirit of God blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I'd love to have seen Nicodemus' face at this point. You know, you really don't hear from Nicodemus again until the passages that we read. He's asked Jesus these questions, but Jesus was so good at not answering questions and answering them at the same time. You see, the answer to Nicodemus's question about change is simple. Jesus' answer is nothing is beyond God's power. Why? Because of how the Holy Spirit works, that's why. Because the Holy Spirit is God's power in this world. He's God's power in your life. And y'all, God is in the business of changing the unchangeable. And he does so by his Holy Spirit. Do you realize that? Do you trust in that? For you see, it's in the midst of this, describing the Spirit's power, that Jesus uttered the most well-known words in all of Scripture. You know what they are. If you watch the Super Bowl this year, and if they show it on the cameras, there'll even be a guy there this year with John 3.16 on a banner. Right? But it's because the Spirit blows where it will. It's because the Holy Spirit is the power of God and the Spirit of God in the world today that Jesus could say that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But it's all by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the basis of the whosoever will. I'm going to shock you right now. The most important verse in the Bible is not John 3.16. John 3.16 is not even the most important verse in John chapter 3. You want to know the most important verse? It's chapter 8. Or excuse me, it's verse 8 of chapter 3. Because the only reason that whosoever will can come to Christ is because of God's Spirit in them. The only reason that anything can change in your life, in the world around us, in our nation, it will be because of the Spirit. Because that's how God works. Who is the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit is the power of God to save and to work and to change and to redeem and to intervene and to absolutely blow your doors off with God's power and show you things that you never thought possible. 
to work in ways that you can never imagine, to change the unchangeable. And I speak from experience on this. It's true. But this brings us back to last week and the subject of submitting to the Spirit. First, having a relationship with the Lord, asking Jesus to save you. If you haven't, you won't have the Spirit. The Spirit only comes through Jesus. But second, if you have done that, this comes down to submitting to the Spirit. And the question is this. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God's power and the Spirit of change. Do you want change? Now this is where I go from preaching to meddling, y'all. Before you say, oh yes, absolutely. Do you really? Because change, like growth, hurts. But it's crucial. You see, Nicodemus came to the Lord desiring salvation, knowing that he needed to be changed, but wondering if it was possible. And the answer is yes, by the Spirit. But y'all, the temptation that we face is we want change. We want things to improve. We want things to get better. And we want things to grow so long as it's everybody else that changes and not us. We want people to get with not a program or the program. We want them to get with our program and be what we want them to be. And that never works. People are who they are until God changes them by the power of the Spirit. You know, with change, we are tempted to say, I don't like change. I hope that's not you. Because as the followers of Christ, we ought to be all about change. Because you see, in the Spirit, we are changed from being people that focus on ourselves and our wants to those who desire Christ. We are changed to die to ourselves and to live under Christ. And the way that this works is by submitting to the Spirit. By the wind of the Spirit. The Spirit of God blowing through your life. Blowing away those things that don't matter. And strengthening those things that do. Y'all know that I'm from South Carolina. One of the most beautiful parts of the state is those live oak trees. If you go down to Charleston on the Battery, you see this huge park full of oak trees. And uh, where, my, uh, where my grandfather lived in the low country, he owned a few islands. And, and right there beside the house that he built is this gigantic oak trees. And the branches are beautiful. And they have Spanish moss hanging off of them. And they're bent and they're gnarled. And it's just spectacular to behold. But do you know what makes those live oaks look that way? It's the wind of hurricanes. It's the difficulty of existence. But it's the fact that the wind blows through and shapes them and forms them not only into something beautiful, but into something stronger. Something with a purpose. That's what the Holy Spirit can do for you. And so I ask you again, do you want that? Do you want change? I pray you do because the more you know God, the more you realize how much you need to change. And if you look at yourself and you conclude, I'm just fine the way I am, it's because you don't know God. Because you don't have His Spirit. If that's you, turn to Christ today. Ask Him to save you and He will and He will transform you. Because the Spirit blows where it will. Nothing is beyond changing. But if you have done this already, pay attention to your hopes, to your dreams, to your desires. Find the basis of your plans. Make sure that you are submitting to the Spirit of God, who is the Holy Spirit, and who is the power of God in your life. And if you do that, hold on. Because the wind is blowing you. And it's incredible what the Lord can do. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. And we praise you that you never just leave us alone. That we are in a constant flux of dying to ourselves and living unto you. Thank you, Father, for doing the best thing for us you can, which is making us like you. As the winds of change blow, help us to discern between that which is difficulty and that which is your spirit simply at work. Help us to tell the difference and to seek your face in all of it. If any here do not know you, work in their hearts and help them to see the glory, the majesty of being indwelled by your Holy Spirit. Always. 
And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. As we consider these things and our motivation for life, let us now close by singing that great hymn, Be Thou My Vision, number 303 in your hymn books. Please stand with me as we sing together, number 303. Again, I'd ask you to remain here uh, so we can hear the results of the election will be forthcoming. But now receive the benediction. May the grace and the peace and the mercy and the love and the fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and forevermore. Amen.